0: Portions of the Oilers Now podcast are brought to you by ProAmSports.ca. 630 Ched and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stauffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for any brand in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X.ca. On Oilers Radio, 630 Ched. Sour number two, Oilers Now, Bob Stauffer with you. Second hour of the show brought to you by Digitech. 630 Chad uses Digitech for their copiers and printers. Their service is excellent. They now sell supplies for all brands of printers at big savings digitechsupplies.ca. We'll tell you that some guests on the show received gift certificates to the Japanese Village, three locations, downtown, Southside, and Northside. We're going to head off to a River Cree Resort and Casino hotline, 780-496-0063. Brought to you by River Creek Resort and Casino. They've got George Thurgood and the Destroyers May the 7th. In this hour, from the NHL Network, former GM of the Tampa Bay Lightning Brian Lawton, who uh, for a number of years uh, ran Octagon Hockey, and at one 35, uh, Emmetton sporting icon, uh, now part owner of the Spruce Grove Saints, who are in the Doyle Cup games uh, three and four go tonight out in Spruce Grove, uh, Ryan Smith. J- something has just moved across the wire. A player we actually talked a bit about yesterday on the show is Lethbridge Hurricanes. We had Peter Anholt on the show yesterday as the GM, great talent evaluator for a number of years in the WHL. And Peter talked about Brad Morrison, who was uh, diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, uh, a mild form of it, and uh, Lethbridge picked him up, um, had a very open-minded approach to him, And he was unbelievable in the playoffs. 16 goals and 37 points in 16 games. Uh, Lethbridge uh, got beat last night, basically, because Oilers pick Stuart Skinner stood in his head in the first period, stopped 19 of 20, and uh, Swift Current with Manny Vivrios uh, closed out the deal. But uh, the L.A. Kings have just signed brad morrison to a three-year elc interesting stuff because yesterday if, if you recall peter Anholt said that there's uh, lots of teams interested in him i'm gonna bring brian Lawton in right now brian how you
1: doing i'm doing fantastic bob thank you
0: yeah uh yeah, i'd say that's yet another illustration like the king's organization i don't know five six years ago they hired brent myers uh, to assist them in terms of uh, dealing, you know, helping their players deal with challenges, and I mean, Brant's a guy that was basically kicked out of the National Hockey League, and has been uh, sober for a while, and is uh, an Edmonton-area product. Actually, he played for the Lethbridge Hurricanes in the Western Hockey League, and um, Here's the Kings now signing a, a player that's been diagnosed with a, with a form of Asperger's. I I find that pretty intriguing because there's a lot of old-school guys in, in hockey circles, Brian, to me that have been somewhat narrow-minded in their focus and approach in terms of, well, kids just have to fit in, and that's the way it is. And maybe it's a sign today that we, we are a little bit different and, and, and do things uh, differently than in the past. I definitely
1: think it's a sign... Uh, Bob And obviously, uh, Dean Lombardi brought Brant in. I can remember talking to him about it. You know, they'd had some problems with off, yep. Um some domestic violence issues, and it was something that Dean was taking seriously. And he did a deep dive and a long search, and he made a very progressive move. Now, of course, Rob Blake is there. And, uh, you know, Rob was not there at that exact time, came after, but uh, I think it bodes well. For their organization for being in tune with today's times, and uh, someday, maybe we'll get rid of bare knuckle fighting in the National Hockey League. And then I don't think we're really progressive.
0: Um, well, you are in Western Canadian radio, so you can imagine. <laughs> who-
1: <laughs> I, mean, I know.
0: What, what if? It, what if it's just uh, a, a you know a one off? Like, I mean, haven't we kind of yeah. phased it out, anyways? In, in, in many re- like we don't have that one dimensional. Uh, enforcer that maybe played back when you played Um, actually there were more fights between, uh, more fights and more goals in the league between, people forget this, they think of the the bench clearing brawls with the Flyers in the 70s but truth be known there were more fights per game from about 86 to 92 just as there was more goals and that's because you had a, a full line of fourth line of guys that could fight back then but have we not morphed away from that anyway Brian?
1: No, I really think the NHL has done a great job. I played in all those years you're referencing. Right. I was it, I was in and people even younger players when I talk to them, I say, "You know, I was in five bench clearing brawls." And I can remember every single one of them like they were yesterday, but uh, we really have progressed. And the interesting thing is when you make some changes that, you know, you probably knew that you ought to have and you finally do them, it's it never ceases to amaze me how many great things come out of that besides just the intended result. So we wanted to cut down on fighting in the National Hockey League. We've clearly done that. And now we see more teams going to four depth lines, yes. even with the ability to score. And I think that's made the game even better. So that's one of the added bonuses for that. And it's hard to do. I've been in the meetings with the GMs. I've talked about some of these things and uh, it wasn't as well received back in 08, 09, 10 um, but we've progressed and that's what I love about the league it's, it's progressing, it's a learned environment and hopefully we can just uh, you know keep with that strategy because it's it's for the betterment of the game
0: I'm trying to think Brian, you mentioned the brawls were you with the one with Minnesota and Chicago there was one really ugly one and uh, and. And you also had Dave Richter on your team, so because as I recall, he might. You know, we we think of Dave Semenko and and Dave Brown and those guys were, but Dave Richter was a a scary dude that nobody wanted to fight back in the day.
1: Uh, he was a lefty, and he beat Terry O'Reilly so bad in one of those brawls that I was thinking about jumping in for Terry because he was kind of like an idol of mine growing up, and Davey was. Kerry was trying his hardest, and Davey was ragdolling him all over the ice. Terry couldn't get to his feet, and I was literally like, okay, that's enough, Davey. That's, that's good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, all right. Good.
1: I, I, I'd, I'd seen a lot. I'd seen a lot. I was in a brawl with Montreal, Detroit, you name it. I was not in that Chicago one.
0: Okay. Uh, we're joined by Brian Lott. Brian, let's get to some uh, – we just had Speck on. He's working that Winnipeg-Nashville series. Uh, y- you know, it's it's unfortunate they're that they're meeting in the divisional final. Okay, that's fine. But the fact is it's an unbelievable series already, isn't it?
1: Well, it's a great series. If you're not watching this one closely, you're missing some fantastic hockey. Uh, The Winnipeg Jets are better than even people imagined. I I think they've shown very well so far. They've got a lot of depth. And I would not be surprised, even though I did not pick them, so to speak, before the playoffs started. But after watching two games, they very easily could win that series.
0: Does this show how, well, number one, how things can turn around, and number two, how tight the margins are, because when you play, because you, you came in during the 21-team NHL, right? So at that time, like the, the bottom four or five teams, those were not very good teams, right? And and I'd I'd argue that uh, okay, now you have 31 teams in the league, and maybe the, the the bottom four or five teams aren't that good, but you can turn it around. I mean, L- Winnipeg last year, nobody saw people criticized the Jets for doing contract extensions on Dayoff and Maurice in the fall. Now, they had drafted well. I think people were cognizant that they had good players coming. But where I'm going with this is you can turn things away uh, positively in a year and things can also go pretty sideways in a year as well. And I'm not sure there was quite that paradigm shift, maybe, Brian, back when you played.
1: No, there definitely wasn't. In 1983-84 was my first year. We lost to the Edmonton Oilers in the essentially Western Conference finals and we lost four straight and there was a million miles separating our team and their team and and we were one of the better teams so you can only imagine for those four or five teams that were really way behind the pack how much distance there was from top to bottom that's not the case now you know like think about it Uh, not Winnipeg even though they were out of the playoffs but last year but not winnipeg but vegas and colorado were two of the lower rated teams obviously uh vegas because they hadn't played in colorado for the season right. they had and they both made the playoffs so, Right. and when i say lower rated i mean like when i ranked the whole league i had them in like 29th and 30th in the league and they come out and have fantastic years that speaks to the parody that's going on right now in the national hockey league and how You know, in Colorado's case, they they made one great trade. It opened up some things. Um, Their coach had a full year. They were very healthy. They replaced all their older players with essentially 30-somethings with 20-somethings. And they were off and running. And they had a fantastic year. And to me, uh, that's what makes, you know, your, your team may not be in it this year, but... Don't get too far away from them because they may be competing for the cup next
0: year. Well, let's talk about you know we haven't had Yawn since the orders were eliminated uh, from the play. This. Edmonton was amongst, probably be considered the most disappointing team in the NHL this year. There were a large percentage of the fan fan base that put money on Edmonton and Vegas. That's a given. Uh, The Oilers were one of the favorites out of the Western Conference. Uh, You know uh, Jim Johnson well, who's no longer with the coaching staff, but uh, will likely find an opportunity elsewhere around the National Hockey League can you foresee an Oilers team being back to being a competitive team that's, you know, being a 40, maybe a 45 win, 95 to 100 point team next season?
1: I could, very easily. Uh, it depends on the moves that they make over the summer. They've got some issues. Um, I think it's a little bit unfortunate in terms of uh, certainly Jim Johnson is the top flight coach, but we do all understand when we sign up for these jobs that You know, it's not really a fair business. You know, I like Jim Johnson because I know his work ethic is second to none as a coach. You you had him right in his strategies. I had him as a coach in Tampa. Yeah, and he's he's an exceptional coach. But yet, I also understand there's a lot of different things that go on in an NHL organization from ownership through presidents, GMs. Uh, There's more consideration than ever given to fans' voices. And uh, ultimately, it can lead to not always, in my opinion, the best decision. I'm not saying that here, uh, but I am saying that I believe in Jimmy Johnson as a very good coach in this league. We're joined right now
0: by Brian Lawton from the NHL Network. Brian, the Buffalo Sabres finally win the lottery, and you would know Casey Middlestat better than I would. You would have seen him play more. Yeah. He's uh, from your state. Uh, I think they've got two rookie of the year candidates in Buffalo next year. This past year, it was New Jersey and Colorado that took a quantum step forward. The year before, it was Edmonton. I think Buffalo is poised to do that. Uh, Give me a thought on the Sabres' ability to do that, given Phil Housley's relative inexperience as a head coach, but he was a pretty special and smart player himself.
1: Uh, Phil was an amazing player, obviously sixth in the 1982 draft. And i would never seen anybody, uh, you know, Bobby Carpenter had come before him out of high school, me after Phil, and Phil was so dominating. I just remember watching him thinking, man, that's incredible. This is going to really be a test for where he's at in terms of his coaching skills, because I do believe that they have exactly the potential that Colorado had, even the type of type of first season Vegas has had that Buffalo has that ability it's really going to come down to the job that Phil does I truly believe that it was still a little bit discombobulated this year in Buffalo but now that Casey Middlestad is there and now that you know we'll see Rasmus Dahlin there boy they've got a lot of possibilities when you think Jack Eichel O'Reilly uh Ristolainen even Marco Scandell is an acceptable top four defenseman in this league. They are really poised to make a huge step forward.
0: Yeah, uh, with Middlestad, is there a comparable for you? Who does he? I, I know some guys don't like doing that, but there, is there a guy that maybe he's played in the league before or currently in the league right now that he reminds me of a
1: bit? Uh, I've known Casey for a long time, and I did a couple of pre draft big interviews for the network last year with Casey. And another player from here, Ryan Paling. And Casey is just one of those prototypical guys. And I said this last year. I was blown away that he wasn't picked in the top four. Yeah. Because when I went through all the, the draft picks, I just could not find four guys better than him. I really couldn't. So it was a great good fortune for Buffalo. I'm not surprised how he's done. He's just one of those guys that whatever level you put him at, he can match that level with his IQ and his skills. Still a little bit of, not a child, but young or almost still immature in his approach. Uh, I saw a lot of growth this year. He's going to need more of that over the summer if he wants to have a big season next year, and I don't see any reason why knowing him like I do that he can't do it, but, but that's a fickle deal. And he, he reminds me a little bit in terms of development of a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois in okay. Columbus. You know, just people were down on Pierre-Luc Dubois, and yet somehow uh, nobody was too down on him by the end of this year.
0: No, nope, that's fair. At one point, he had the same career numbers as Yessa Uh It didn't finish that way. I mean, he took a quantum step forward. We're joined by Brian La- Brian, I-, I was at the Combine last year and saw Middlestat there. Um I know Jack Michaels and myself. Like Jack, really liked him and was like, "This guy's got to be a top five pick." And he, to me, he reminded me a bit of Phil Kessel. Like he kind of, you know, he maybe he didn't look necessarily, you know, he's got he had a little bit of I don't I don't know if it was baby fat, but he, you know what I'm saying? Like he kind and I'm wondering whether or not sometime somebody didn't see him good in that of it. Can you? Can you? It's not the NFL. Where you got to have the speed, you got to have the, the quickness and the explosiveness. So measurables are really important. To me, it's way less relevant in the case of hockey, just because it's a completely different game. Because you can either skate or you can't, and it doesn't have to do necessarily, uh, you know, with whether or not you're, you know, six and a half percent body fat or eight percent body fat. You know what I'm saying? I uh, I
1: agree a hundred percent. And ultimately, I do think although you need a lot of football iq to to be a good player hockey iq could make up for a lot more in my opinion it can cover more ground the field is a little bit closer in football it's those intangibles that um people seem to be able to draft off of more easily it, you know we don't even really do those types of measurements in hockey you know bring guys on the ice at the combine and Test them how fast they are. More teams are trying to do that stuff, but it, we, we've been a little bit slow in that area. Ultimately, though, uh, hockey IQ—we'll call it the Bill Belichick method—because he belongs, he believes in versatile players, and uh, so do I. When you get right down to it, that—that that gives coaches a lot of flexibility, but the guys that have it have a huge advantage over the rest of the field. And Casey that has excellent hockey iq
0: all right uh, let's switch uh, focus just quickly on a couple series here vegas san jose this is an unbelievable story of vegas isn't it
1: it uh it, you think it's gonna be over i thought it was gonna be over months ago it wasn't i thought it would be over in the first round for sure so did i it wasn't and now here we are in the second round and I would have thought it'd be over again, but uh, I, I, I promised myself I wouldn't pick against Vegas
0: anymore. Do you know what I noticed about them? Uh, th- their practice habits must be exceptional because against L.A. and against San Jose, as those games went further in overtime, they were the way better team. You know what I mean? Like So my guess here is that Gerard Gallant is practicing at a pace, and they've got everybody, and you know, George McPhee said this on the show, Brian, he said we were all castaways, right? So this has been an easy message to get everybody on board. And there is an egalitarian nature in hockey as well. And you look at Vegas and they didn't get anybody's worst players. You know, like some organizations maybe gave up their 8th or ninth best players and other organizations maybe their 12th or 13th. But they didn't get anybody's 18th, 19th, or 20th like past expansion teams. And then you had some guys that would have never been available in the past like a Marc-Andre Fleury that becomes available. And so it's a wholly, it's a completely different animal, isn't it?
1: It, it? it truly is, and I think in a lot of ways, uh, whoever ends up being a part of the management and coaching staff in Seattle, if and when they're officially in the National Hockey League, which I expect 100% that they will be, um, we're, we're going to see some different expectations ultimately i think teams are going to try to do a better job you're not going to see as many deals be made but you know vegas to me is just the ultimate group of motivated marines these guys have a lot to prove i think that the organization has been masterful in how they've cajoled that throughout the year Yep. and reminded the players i really truly thought my analysis that the rest of the league would raise their level to Vegas' level in the playoffs, and that would be it. But because they've built so much confidence in themselves, because they have such a rock-solid character and goaltender in Marco yep. André Fleury, it's not an impossibility that they could make it to the finals. And I never thought in a million years that would be possible this yeah.
0: season for them. Yeah, absolutely. Final question for you, Brian. we got about a minute left here. If you were Peter Shirelli, knowing that there's pending expansion, the Oilers are drafting 10th, would you contemplate trading the pick, or is it theoretically depend? You know, I guess
1: dependent upon who you got coming back. To I would never, way. I would never do it for that reason alone. Okay. It, it would be a factor, but I wouldn't enter the draft and say, "Geez, you know, look at our roster; where we're at, we'll never be able to." There's just a lot of things that can happen between now and then. Um, I would want to come up with the best plan for the organization, balancing the one massive challenge that guys like Peter always have any general manager in a league, and that is how do we balance the short-term versus the long-term yep. needs of the organization. It is not easy. Um, but I think this draft is deeper than people think, although I will tell you, for me in my analysis, I'm doing the draft shows again for NHL Network, it starts to get a little leaky around 9-10. Yeah. That's, so,
0: that's where it's going to get tricky. Know,
1: yep. It definitely tricky is probably a better word Now, keep in mind that in the National Hockey League, no two teams have the top top ten players in the same order. So it's very conceivable that the Edmonton Oilers could end up, they're going to have their list, the top ten players, and they could end up with number, and it sounds bizarre, you can't explain it to fans, but they could end up with number five or six on their list.
0: Absolutely. Very easily. Brian, as we get closer to the draft, we're going to reach out again. Is that good?
1: Anytime, Bob. Love coming on up there.
0: Alright, thanks a lot. That is Brian Lawton, the number one overall pick 1983 NHL entry draft for a number of years. One of the top agents in the business running Octagon Hockey and uh, later General Manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning and now with the NHL Network. 127 in Edmonton. Uh, the best pizza in the city still making a great Royal Pizza. Multiple locations in Edmonton to serve you including the original Royal Pizza in Old Strathcona. Edmonton owned and operated 48 years Staffer recommendation at Royal Pizza Mediterranean Chicken. Uh, They got a new spot out in Spruce Grove. We're going to talk about the Spruce Grove Saints coming up with one Ryan Smith after a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Room on St. Albert Trail. Fill your fan cave at ProAmsports.ca. That's Proamsports.ca. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad.